0: Well, let's continue talking about Joseph this morning, Um, just by means of review. The title of my message today is going to be, The Death of a Dream, and I've got a question mark there, because it's going to seem today like the dreams that Joseph had are going to die, but they're alive and well, and uh, God has a plan for your life. Now, you may not be the prime minister of Egypt or, you know, you may not even be the mayor of Polkton. Wait a minute. We've got mayor of right here with (laughs) us. But um, God has a plan for your life. He does. And let me tell you what, Satan is out there to destroy God's plan for your life. He wants to abort the dreams that God has given you. But he cannot stop God's plan for your life. He can't. And we're going to see that in uh, in our message today. Now, by, by way of review, we've uh, talked about the fact that this is the record of Jacob. This is the generation of Jacob here. Even though Joseph is in the forefront, uh, Jake, it's Jacob's story. And it's how Israel uh, got from Canaan uh, into Egypt and how they became slaves there. And so roughly um, 400 years and, and this Bridges the gap for us. Now, we know that Joseph has the favor of his father. And how do we know that? Because he's got, he's wearing something special, isn't he? A coat of many colors, right? And that show. now, were his brothers happy about that? No, they weren't. Let's take a little, another little look here at Jacob's family. I know that might be some, kind of hard to see. But the firstborn is Reuben. He's, he's Leah's son. And I'm sure they all felt like if anybody deserved the coat, it should have been Reuben. Joseph is the 11th uh, child. You see him there with his little coat of many colors, the Technicolor dream coat there. Um, but uh, he's the 11th son. So I'm sure there was some hostility there. And, but as we read the story, you, you kind of get the impression that, that Jacob knew what he was doing by putting Joseph in charge. You're really going to get a flavor uh, that the flavor for that today, as we as we look in the uh, the message. Now this is his boys. We don't have his daughters up here. Um, <clears> There's <throat> only so much room on the <laughs> on the PowerPoint. But you're gonna see he's got several uh, daughters apparently, too. But Joseph not only has the favor of his earthly father, he has the favor of his heavenly father, and we know that because God gives him two dreams, and these are short-term prophecies. The first one is about grain. So there's a hint there that there might be a famine or a shortage of, of food. The second dream uh, shows the family coming and bowing down to him in Egypt. Now, three times we're told in chapter 37 that his brothers hated him, and that hatred is growing. It's getting deeper and deeper. And, and then finally we're told that his brothers envy him. Now, they envy him because they know deep down that what God has shown Joseph is going to come to pass. They, they know and every time they look at him they see what they're not and so they hate him and what we're going to see throughout this is the providence of God that God is working even though he's not named by name here in the text he's working all behind the scenes he's orchestrating things and so it is with our life God has a way of getting us where he wants us to be <clears throat> alright and I didn't start off with prayer and I should have done that so I'm going to ask Preacher Larry if he'll pray for me and pray for us that God will speak to us Amen. So Genesis 37. So let's pick up where we left off um, in verse 12. This is, and his brothers, or his brethren, went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now we're just kind of starting cold here with the story of Joseph, but there is a history in Shechem, and it's not a good one. So let's back up to chapter 34 now. And Adam is my victim today, so he's got the microphones. He's gonna help us out. Adam and uh, would you read Genesis thirty-four, uh verses one one and two, just to start with.
1: Now do let's see, let's see if this one works.
0: <laughs> That's why I got some they were teasing me. I handed him four microphones, and now you see why. <laughs>
1: Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hevite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her.
0: All right. So first thing, Dinah, and she's the only daughter I know that I, th- I think is named by name, says that she went out to see the daughters of the land. Now we're in the land of Canaan. Now that's a clue to us that things are not going to go well, because she's not uh, she's not fraternizing with the, cho- the the chosen people. She's mingling amongst the Canaanites, are a type of the world, a representative of the world. And when you uh, when you choose to fraternize with the world and be a friend of the world, guess what? Bad things are going to happen if you're a believer. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Um, and so Shechem, the the prince of the city, uh. He, now, Dinah's about 14, uh, roughly, 14, 15, if you do the math through the genealogies and stuff. <clears throat> and this guy, who's the leader of the town, he forces and rapes this 14, 15-year-old girl. Okay. Now, um, nobody came to her rescue. Nobody came to her rescue in and, and the whole town. Now, Jacob hears about it in verse 5. But the Bible says he held his peace. Now, Haman, in verse 6, he comes out uh, to arrange a marriage because Shechem is is in love with Dinah. Even though he's done this terrible thing, you know, he wants to marry her. So he's got her in his house. And so he's going to, uh, uh, um, his father is going to try to negotiate. Um, Verses 8 and 9, would you read that, Adam? We're still in chapter 34.
1: But Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife, and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us, and take our daughters to yourselves.
0: Notice the daughter is plural, the daughters, so apparently Jacob's got other girls besides Dinah. But anyway um they're wanting to uh to to mix marriage now is that going to be a good idea no. not at all uh because they're supposed to be the chosen people and then verse fourteen uh you know they they tell him this they say we can't do this uh that would be an that'd be a reproach to us because you guys are uncircumcised in other words, you guys are pagans you're 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 not uh worshippers of god but they uh but they said that we'll make a deal with you. Now they trick him and they say, if you'll circumcise yourself, then we'll we'll go along with the plan. Now look at verse nineteen, <clears throat> and it says that uh, the young man deferred not to do the thing. That's Shechem. He's willing to be circumcised, and it says he was more honorable than all the house of his father. It doesn't say much for the morality of Shechem, does it? That this guy who just raped a 14-year-old girl is the, you know, he's the most noble person uh, in the household. It doesn't speak well. And i to tell you what, as we look around in our nation, don't we see that the, the morals of our society are just going down, 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 down. And it's going to go bad for us just like it did for them. So they go along with it and they, they circumcise themselves. Um, <clears throat> now, Adam, would you read verses 25 through 31 now? So so the men of Shechem have consented to do what, you know, what the bargain was. They kept their end of the deal. All right.
1: Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain the two of the, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's daughters, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamar and Shechem, the son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, that what was in the city and what was in the field, and all of their wealth. All their little ones and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land and among the Canaanites and the Peserites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed in my household and I. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a harlot?
0: Would you go ahead and read verse 1 of chapter 35 too?
1: Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you and when you were fled from the face of Esau your brother.
0: All right, thank you. So, um, the two brothers of Leah, th- these are blood brothers here, Simeon and Levi, that's the second and third born, Leah, it says that they killed every male in the city. So, they, didn't, they not only got retribution for Dinah, they went above and beyond. And imagine how tough these two guys must have been to kill all the men in the city. You know, you think about James and John are the sons of thunder. They got nothing on Simeon and Levi, right? But, they, and, but notice it says that not only did they kill all the men of the city, but they took the spoil. They conquered as if they had taken the whole city by, by war in a battle. Interestingly enough, when Joshua invades the Promised Land, there's no battle in Shechem. You know why? Because Simeon and Levi had already conquered it. And they recognized Simeon by the right of conquest. And that's the reason that these boys were able to go back to Shechem Which brings us back to Genesis 37. You thought we'd never get started, didn't you? I'm starting to wonder too. We're not going to finish the chapter today, in case you're wondering. Some of you are really nervous. No, I'm not going to keep you here all day. So, Shechem's got some history, amen? (laughs) And it's not good. So, um, it says his brother went to feed the father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, notice he's not called Jacob here. He's Israel. Just be sensitive to that. Israel said unto Joseph, "Do not your brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them." And he said to them, "Here am I." Now, if you were Joseph, do you think this would be an assignment you would be jumping at the bit to go do? Because they hate him, right? And Shechem's been a place where there's been a slaughter. And all this controversy, but Jake but Joseph, as a good son, he says, Here am I. He's making himself available. I heard one pastor say recently, God is looking for fat Christians. And you're looking at me, you think, Well, God's got his man. <laughs> He's not talking about girth. F A T. God's looking for faithfulness, availability and teachability, okay? And if you can be those, uh, those three things, God can use you. If you'll be faithful in whatever God's called you to do. If you'll be available. God's not looking for the, the most talented person. He's looking for somebody that's available. And he's looking for somebody that's teachable. Now, some of you may come here today and think, well, this preacher ain't gonna tell me nothing I don't already know. Well, you've already shut yourself off. But if you'll be open, God can still teach you a thing or two, even through somebody like me. And what I find is the more I learn day after day after day, the more I realize how much I really don't know. I mean, I don't know a fraction of a millimeter of what this, this word says. And so that's a challenge to us every day to be growing. So God's looking for availability. Now, this word, uh, it, 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 uh, I will go in Hebrew, or here I am, I think it says in the King James, or here am I. It's one word in the Hebrew, it's heneh. Let's speak Hebrew together. Hine. let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. Hine. all right. Bunch of Hebrew speaking Gentiles. <laughs> Aren't you proud of yourself? Now, this is the same thing that Abraham said when God asked him to uh, offer Isaac on the altar. Can you read that, Adam, or is that too small? Okay. Genesis 21,
1: one. 22, One, excuse me. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am.
0: Okay. He's available. This is a tough situation. It's a test. How many of you know God's going to put your faith to the test? He will. All right. What about Jacob? Now, Jacob, uh, same thing with him, uh, Genesis thirty-one, eleven.
1: And the angel of God spake to me in that dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am,
0: Hine. Uh, I didn't put it on the PowerPoint, but in Isaiah six, the Lord said, "Who will go for us?" And what does Isaiah say? Here am I, Lord, send me, Hine. This this verb is uh, synonymous with being willing to do God's will. Now, the ultimate Hine is found in the New Testament, Hebrews ten verses six and seven.
1: In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God.
0: See, the animal sacrifices were not, I mean, they were able to cover the sin, but they couldn't take it away. And one of the main problems with the animal sacrifice is it never dealt with the issue of the will. You know, the, the animal uh, The animal really had no exercise of his will in the choice, right? I mean, they didn't say, hey, do you feel like being slaughtered today? And the animal said, yeah, I'm I'm ready. (laughs) So there was a flaw in that system because it never dealt with the will, you see. But Jesus Christ, when he came to this world and he went to the cross, it was not just that he was perfectly sinless, which he was, but he was a willing sacrifice. That, that dealt with the inward part, you know, uh, a willing sacrifice. And we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26.
1: And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And then Again went away again and second time and prayed saying oh my father if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it thy will be done
0: and it goes on to say that he prayed the same words a third time kind of like Paul prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to to depart but he said not my will but yours be done it was the most difficult night of his life but in that moment of great difficulty he embraced the will of God he did. And aren't you glad he did? Hallelujah. He did. Praise God, like they were singing earlier. Nobody's going to ever care about you and love you like Jesus does. Nobody in this world will ever love you or care for you the way Jesus does. But he cares for us perfectly. He cares about every little detail of our lives. All right, let's go back to Genesis 37. If you, if you left, come back to it. Now, verse 14, it says, And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with your brothers. Now, we can understand why he might be worried about the brothers. Amen? Because they've got a history there in Shechem. You wonder if there are posters up in the post office. You know. Have you seen these guys? They're well-known. Uh, so we can understand it. But notice he also says, see if it's well with the flocks. You say, what in the world does Jacob care about flocks for? Well, he's a wealthy man. And he is, by the way, God's man. God chose Abraham, then he appeared to Isaac, and now Jacob's carrying on the family tradition, right? He's God's man, and he's got he has got all of this wealth that he's accumulated, and he's got to take care of it because he's—you know—he's concerned about his posterity. There's a scripture in the book of Proverbs that comes to mind here. Proverbs uh, 27.
1: 23 and 24. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. For riches are not forever and doth the crown endure to every generation.
0: You got you to gotta take an inventory of what you've got. Now we've all seen this in our, in our lives. How many of you have ever seen this where there was a, a, a man or a woman who built a, a, a large successful business? Okay. And then they passed away, and they left that business to their children. And that child, his or her interests are divided. And they don't care about that business like daddy did or mama did. And they'll take mom and daddy's business and run it in the ground. You ever seen that happen? So that's what Jacob's doing here, is he's watching over the state of the flock because it's it's Abraham's, it's Isaac's, now it's his, and he's going to pass it down to his children. All right. Now we get to uh, the end of verse 14. He says, He sent him out of the vale of Hebron and he came to Shechem. Now you're going to see some geography here. There's three locations in particular. There's Hebron, Shechem, and Dothan. Now, why do you think God goes to the trouble of naming these places? Anybody want to hazard a guess? So we can see what's going on. They'll be important later, historically, for sure. Also, I think just on a, just a, a real basic level, God wants us to see these are real, historical, archaeological places. And their ruins have been discovered, and some of them remain to this day, that these are real people, real places. Uh, it's not a myth. Some people say that the, the book of Genesis is, is just all myth. And to quote Vance Havner, he says, people who say the Bible is a myth are myth-taken. <laughs> that was my Mike Tyson impersonation there. <laughs> Better not pick on him or I'll start, talk, start talking like that, will I? Okay. <laughs> so he leaves Hebron and goes to Shechem. Now, Shechem is about 50 miles away. This is about a three-day or four-day journey. That's a long way for a 17-year-old boy to go, uh, maybe on foot. And, uh, but, but he's going. He's doing what his father has asked him to do. Now... Verse 15, it says, a certain man found him. He's anonymous. We're not told who he is. It just says, a certain man uh, found him on his, uh, when he got to Shechem. And he was wandering in a field. He just happened to be there. There are no accidents in God's kingdom. It's not serendipity. Uh, it's not luck. You know, there's a couple things Christians need to get out of their vocabulary. Luck, karma, that's an Eastern religion thing. The law of sowing and reaping is what it is. It's not karma, but. And the man said, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. I'm seeking my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And wouldn't you know, this unnamed man just happens to know exactly where they went. And the man said, they're departed hence. For I have heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Dothan is the place of two wells. That's what the name means, two wells or two uh, cisterns. And Joseph went after his brethren and guess what he found them? Where? In Dothan. Now, the rabbis believed that this was An angel that Joseph encountered. Whether it was or not, we don't, we're not told, so I don't know. Uh, a lot of times when there's an unnamed person in the narrative, it's a type of the Holy Spirit. Uh, an unnamed servant or an unnamed anonymous helper, because after all, the Holy Spirit is our helper, amen? So a lot of times when it's uh, synonymous with the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, uh, I believe that there, God does have angels among us. Adam, would you read that from Hebrews 1, 14?
1: Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for them. Who shall be heirs of salvation?
0: Are you an heir of salvation? Say yes, please. (laughs) You have a guardian angel. And we don't pray to them. We're not talking to them. We're not, you know, building shrines or anything to them. But we're just mindful that God's got angels looking out for us. I don't know about you, but I really feel sorry for my angel. The poor guy, I mean, if I could just see him right now, he's probably shaking his head, you know, he's just, what are we going to do with him? And when we get to heaven, you know, we're going to meet our angels, and they're going to be like, why did you put me through this? <laughs> this was torture. But, um, but they do what they're told, unlike us. Uh, Hebrews uh, 12 or 13, rather. Would you read that, Adam?
1: Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares.
0: Maybe you know of a time, I don't want you to just tell, tell me out loud right now, but maybe you can think of a time where you needed help in an instance, and you're just convinced that God sent an angel yes. to help you in a time of need, and they just mysteriously appeared. You've never seen them before, and have never seen them afterward. But they were there in your time of need. And, uh, and some of you have shared your stories. And, and I think I've got one too. I'm not going to share it with you. But um, there was a time I needed help and three men just showed up out of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, anyway, just happened to have the very thing that I needed to get help with. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, J- Joseph is finding assistance. But let me tell you this. If you're following God's will, God will help you along the way. He will help you get in touch with the right people. God has a way of getting you where he wants you to be and putting you in touch with the right people. Because God uses people. Amen? He does. All right. Now the story gets even more uh, juicy. When they saw him, that's the brothers, afar off, this reminds me of when the prodigal son walks back home and it says that when he was afar off, the father saw him. But this is a different response here. And I think that story is a contrast, by the way. I think Jesus telling that story is a contrast to Joseph and his brothers. But when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, let it say they conspired to kill him. That's amazing, isn't it? you believe in conspiracy theories, Henry? Sure. All it takes is two people getting together with a bad plan. Don't obsess over it, you know. Do I think there's evil things going on in the government? Sure. But what can you do about it other than pray and vote? I mean, that's all you can do is live for the Lord. The dangers of hatred... I want, I want you to read some of these scriptures for me, Adam, if you would. Ye
1: have heard that it was said by them of the old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raca, which shall, shall be in danger of the counsel. But whosoever shall say thy fool shall be in danger of hellfire.
0: All right. Got some more scriptures for you. Now, in this context, in Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees are taking issue with Jesus and his disciples because they're eating with unwashed hands. They they view them as being ceremonially unclean. All right. For from within out of the
1: heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fortifications, murders, thefts, covetness, wickedness, deceit, and that word, and evil lie, <laughs> blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. You notice the murder there?
0: Where does it start? In the heart. They hated Joseph, they hated him even more. They hated him for the coat. They hated even even more when he saw, they saw that he was having dreams, and when he shared them for his words, they hated him. James one tells us that sin is a process. We're, we're in the book of James on Wednesday night. Uh, why don't we just turn there? It's not in my notes, but let's let's go to James chapter one, and we see that sin is a process. Hold your place in Genesis. James chapter one. James is the brother of our Lord, the half brother of our Lord Jesus. uh, His his book is full of imperatives. It's a short book, but it's full of uh, full of commands. Right after the book of Hebrews is James. And Adam, would you read verses thirteen through fifteen? James one thirteen through fifteen.
1: Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away from his own desires and enticed. Then when we desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death.
0: So you see, it's a process. You know, it starts out, in the mind and in the heart. And if you don't deal with that thing right then, it's going to grow and grow, just like it did with these brothers. It grew until it would eventually uh, was carried out. Before you ever do it in the flesh, it starts out in your mind, and that's why you have to be careful what you think about. Think, careful what you look at. Careful what you meditate on. All right. 1 John 3. I'm giving you a workout, Adam, but your, your work is almost done.
1: Marvel not, my brethren. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye not know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him.
0: Notice that hatred is equivalent with murder. Now, what I find interesting These boys have gone to Shechem. Now, why did they go there? Probably because they're out of sight and out of mind, and they can do whatever they want to, and Daddy's not watching because they know Joseph's going to tell what's going on. How many of you know God knows everything? You can't hide from God. You know, even if you go to Shechem, God's there. His eyes are there. Um, But they're there. Here's the thing that jumps out at me, guys. They have hated him and hated him and hated him, But now, there's a convergence. Now motive has opportunity. The first chance they actually get to get Joseph, they're all over it. Notice there's no hesitation. As soon as they saw him, they said, let's kill him. But that thing was there all along. And so that's what I'm telling you and me. We got to be careful. Because if we don't deal with our lust or our hatred or whatever it is, Sooner or later, there will be a convergence. Are you hearing me? And you're going to be at the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. And motive will meet opportunity. And if you've already been meditating on that thing in your heart, you will carry it out. It's real easy to look at somebody and say, well, I would never do that. You know what? Probably because you didn't have the motive or number two, you didn't have the opportunity. Don't ever look down on somebody that's in prison, that's been in jail, A lot of times, the only difference between them and you is they got caught. But a lot of times, it's because motive meant opportunity. They were at the wrong place at the wrong time. And and that can happen to any one of us, folks, if we don't guard our heart. We have to guard our heart. Their conspiracy becomes a confession. Notice they've been hating him, but now they start talking about it. Let's kill him. And they start to... uh, to come up with this plan. Go back to Genesis now. Genesis 37. Now the conspiracy becomes confession. Notice in verse 19, they said one to another. They're talking. Behold, this dreamer cometh. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. And I want you to notice what is the... uh, what, what, what is their, their big beef with him? It's the dream. They're after the dream. Now, they hated the coat, but the thing they really want to kill is the dream. You know why? Because if the dream comes true, then Joseph will rule over them. And they think in their fallen minds that they can stop God's plan. They think they can kill the dream by doing what? By killing Joseph. Verse 20. Come now, therefore... And let us do what? Slay him. him. Cast him into the pit. We'll say some evil beast has devoured him. Notice they're they're scheming now. You see, if you sin, you've you've always got to have a plan to cover it up. Always. And Have you ever noticed this? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. If you tell one lie, you've got to tell another one to cover it up. And it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. And... Uh, And sooner or later, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. But conspiracy has become confession here. Adam, would you read that from Proverbs 4? Keep thy
1: heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life.
0: Guard your heart, your affection, your mind. Your mind is a battlefield. And Satan is out there trying to sow thoughts, in your mind and put desires in your heart that are not godly and we have to guard ourselves we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Paul says alright Proverbs uh, was that 23 7
1: for as he thinketh in his heart so is he eat and drink saith he to thee but his heart is not with thee
0: It's, it's what's in your heart what's inside of you is going to come out now, the good news is if you're born again, you've got Jesus on the inside, that's going to come out. The tree's going to bear the fruit that the root is, right? Anybody ever heard that song, Jesus on the inside working on the outside? I love that song. All right, uh, Luke, uh, chapter 6.
1: A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance
0: of the heart his mouth speaketh. What you, what you love, you're going to talk about. And if you want to know what somebody really cares about, just listen. They'll tell you. What is it they want to talk about the most? Themselves. That's, that's probably the biggest one, isn't it? People love that. Uh, if you want to win friends and influence people, let me tell you the easiest way to do it. Just ask people questions about themselves. That's good advice anyway. Don't do all the talking, but, uh, but we're not in the game of manipulating people, amen? <laughs> all right. So, um, notice verse 20. It says, we'll say some evil beast has devoured him. And look at the end of verse 20. Then we will see what will become of what? His dreams. They're after the dream, aren't they? That's the thing that they're really worried about. Because in their mind, deep down, they know God revealed this dream to this young man. And they think, we can stop it. You know, Satan... Have you ever read the Bible and you thought, why does Satan keep doing this? He knows he's going to lose. In his darkened mind, he still thinks, right? Because he knows human nature. He knows human nature. And thinks—and we're the variable in all this. God's not, but we're the variable. And Satan still thinks, you know, I can still turn these guys, and we can win. And um, God's plans will not be thwarted, however. <clears throat> but they want to kill the dream. Now, Reuben comes in. Reuben heard it. Now, where does Reuben fit into this? He's the firstborn son. So, thank God that apparently Reuben was not in on the initial conspiracy. Right? Right? Because he stumbles upon it, and the plan's already in motion. Reuben heard it, and he delivered them out of their hands. Well, good for Reuben. Let us not kill him. See, uh, the code of Hammurabi was in effect, but also you got Genesis uh, 9, where the the shedding of blood, you know, there has to be retribution. If there's shedding of blood, somebody has to die for it. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that's in the wilderness, and lay no hand uh, upon him. Now this pit is probably uh, a cistern, and I'll get to that in just a minute. It, and lay no hand upon him. Now notice, it, it, the Holy Spirit tells us why he said that. Because Reuben wanted to rid them out of their hands and deliver him to his father again. So Reuben's got a plan. And Reuben's plan is we're going to put him in the pit, and then after a while, Reuben's going to sneak back and rescue Joseph and take him back home. Now, Reuben is acting like a grown-up for a change. But Reuben's got some making up to do. Let's turn back just, uh, just a few chapters in chapter 35. And you're going to get some insight. How does Joseph end up with the coat of many colors? I mean, after all, Reuben's the firstborn. Genesis 35. What was the wife that Jacob loved the most? Not Leah, but not Bella, not Zilpah, but who? Rachel. So this is a critical point in Jacob's life. Uh, um, Adam, would you read... Um, 19, no, I'm sorry, 16 through 22. Genesis 35, uh, 16 through 22. Then they journeyed
1: from Bethel, and when they, there was but a little distance to go to Ephraim, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also, and so it was as her soul was departing, for she had died, that she called his name Ben-oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is a pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land, when that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now the sons
0: of Jacob were 12. Okay. So Jacob's wife, his beloved wife, has just passed away. She died in childbirth. And Reuben, being the good firstborn son that he is, decided it would be a good time to go sleep with Rachel's. Now notice it's not Leah's maid, but Rachel's maid. So what Reuben here is doing is he is assuming the right of the head of the household. This is a power play. As he goes and he sleeps with his father's wife, it's an incestuous thing, but it's a power play. So as you see the character of these brothers, is it becoming more and more obvious to you why Jacob would favor Joseph, why he would put the coat of many colors on him? Because the rest of these guys, they've they've got big holes, right? It's like Swiss cheese. There's a lot of chinks in the armor. And, 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 and Jacob doesn't really address it in the narrative until he gets to the point where he's, he's on his deathbed. <laughs> and that's where we find Genesis 49, where he's called the, he's called the family in for the patriarchal blessing. Uh, would you read that, uh, Adam? Reuben, thou
1: art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the ecstasy of my, the dignity, and the ecstasy of power. Go ahead and read that next one underneath it. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to the father's bed, then defilest thou it. He went up to
0: my couch. So you see, Jacob didn't address it right away, but just because the punishment was deferred or delayed doesn't mean it was denied. And so um, even on his deathbed, Reuben bears this reproach. Um, The Chronicles how many of you were reading Chronicles this morning in your devotions with your coffee, catching up on the history of Israel? No, all right. First Chronicles five
1: one. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not reckoned after that birthright.
0: Okay, so scriptures were replete with the you know this whole issue with Reuben. Let's go back to Genesis 37, and we'll bring this to a close. So Reuben's got a plan. He's acting like a grown-up. I think he wants to be in good graces with his father again. I, you know, that's just me judging his heart, which we shouldn't do. Amen, so forgive me, Lord. But I think he's probably trying to get in good graces. But, ne- but we will see some genuine remorse from Reuben, not today, but next Sunday, Lord willing, if, if God lets, lets me preach this this thing through. Um, Reuben says, shed no blood. Then in verse 23, it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren, the first thing they did was they stripped him of what? The coat of many colors. The the outward symbol of the Father's favor. Um, And so, first thing they did is they got rid of the coat. You know what? People don't like it when you're favored by God. Even Christians will envy you. you, That's why you don't ever need to be jealous of other Christians. You don't need to be jealous. Because God's got good plans for your life too. Amen. This is a type, by the way, this stripping of the robe. Keep in mind that Joseph is a type of Christ. Adam, would you read that for me? We've only got one more slide. This is from Matthew 27.
1: And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited platted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews.
0: So they stripped him of his robe. They mocked him just like they mocked Joseph. Let's go ahead and get the last slide in here too. Mark 15, 21, 22.
1: And they compel one Simon, a Syrian, and pass by coming out of the country. And the father, Alexander, and Rufus to bear his cross. And they bring him into the place, Golgotha, which is
0: being interpreted the place of the skull. So Jesus was exhausted. That was a cruel thing that Romans did. Not only did they crucify you, but they made you carry your cross. But Jesus was so tired and exhausted that somebody had to help him carry the cross. Joseph has been on this journey for three days. Sorry, there we go. He's been on a three-day journey. He gets to Shechem. The brothers are not there. He has to go further north to Dothan, the place of two wells, place of two cisterns. He goes there another day's journey. You think Joseph's probably tired? He's exhausted. He's tired and exhausted. And when he gets there, they strip him of his robe and they mock him for his dreams. Interesting thing here. Everybody's making choices, aren't they? Jacob's sending Joseph here. Joseph made a choice to go. The brothers are making a choice to kill him. Reuben has made a choice to put him in the pit and get him out. But God's plans are going to stand. Now, verse 24 this is where we'll stop. It says, They took him and they cast him into a pit. I think this is probably a cistern because it says there was no water in it. Cistern's different than a well. A well, you just have the water seeping in the ground. A cistern has a waterproof barrier at the bottom. It's, it's to contain and hold water. But we're told that Joseph's pit has no what? Water. Remember Jesus on the cross, he said, I thirst and they gave him the, uh, the sour wine. But they took him and they put him in the pit. Now, why did the brothers go to Shechem? I don't know. Were they just wanted to be away from dad? to Do their dirty deeds? Maybe. Why did they go further to Dothan? Well, maybe the pastures were greener at Dothan. Maybe. I don't know. But what we do know, is that God intends for Joseph to end up in Egypt. And you don't know this from the Bible, but this is why y'all pay me to study. (laughs) When you get to Dothan, there's an east-west trade route from Gilead to the coastal plain. Next week, there's gonna be some merchant men that come from Gilead with balm. You ever heard of the balm of Gilead? They're going to come with these myrrh and spices and all this stuff. And there's a convergence there. There's an east-west trade route. But then there's another road, and and I'm going to put my little clicker on here. Can you all see my little green clicker? I'm glad there's not a cat in here. That cat would be going crazy. All right. You can't really tell, probably, but there's a little thing here, a little red line here, a trade route that goes south into Egypt called the Via Maris. And this is the route that's going to put Joseph on his way to where God wanted him to be. He's in the pit right now, but he's right where God wants him to be. <laughs> Maybe you're in a pit right now. What does the pit symbolize? You know, we even use that expression, don't we? The pit of despair, the pit of depression. A pit is a place where nobody can help you but God. God sometimes God will put you in that place. He'll allow you to be in that place so that you'll focus not on anything else or anybody else, but focus on Him and Him alone. And when you do that, you'll find out that God is a very present help in the time of trouble, that the Lord will help those who call on Him. You know, Jesus Christ died to keep you out of the pit. He wore the crown of thorns. He carried the cross. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for you and I. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was crucified, buried, and He rose again the third day. And the good news is that if you receive Him as your Lord and your Savior, right where you are, just as you are, you will be born again. But there's got to be a repentance. A repentance is a changing of heart a changing of mind that's all it means to repent is to turn around say god i've been in this pit you know for some of you finding yourself in the pit is the best place you could ever been i remember my pit james i remember i got home from a bar it was about two o'clock in the morning and i was in my pit and i was about as low as i could possibly go and i had a lot of dreams I'm not going to give you my testimony all over again. But I felt like all my dreams were gone. They were dead. And I thought to myself, there's got to be more to life than this. And I got down on my knees. And I had my old King James Bible that my granddaddy gave me when I was a little boy. And I had a little tract from the Gideons. Thank you, Brother Conway, for the Gideons work. I had a little tract there from the Gideons. And it says, if you're feeling despair, read here. If you're feeling sad and empty, read here. And I began to read, and those red letter words were just jumping off that page. And I said, yes, that's me. That's me. I'm empty. I'm I'm carrying around this guilt that I can't get rid of. I'm carrying around this hopelessness, this despair. And in my despair, in my pit, I cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I didn't have anybody there to pray. I didn't have a prayer partner. Didn't have a pastor at the time. Just me and God in that room. I was actually in the closet. I had a walk-in closet. And I I just hold myself in that closet calling on God. I say, God, I don't know how to do it, but I need you to save my soul. And here I stand today. Am I perfect? (laughs) No, far from it. If this thing's based on merit, I should have been out of here a long time ago. And I don't mean out of this church. I mean out of this world in the grave. God will save you if you come to him and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. He'll do it. Would you stand? Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're here. Maybe you've lost your vision. The Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. And I believe God wants to birth some dreams in some some men and women, some sons and daughters here today, that He wants to birth some vision in you. He wants you to regain that vision and let you understand that you may be in the pit right now, and it may seem dark, But God works all things together for good to those that love him. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. It was God's will for Joseph to be in that pit. It was God's will for him to be there. Reuben is going to try to get him out of the pit and it ain't going to work. At least not the way Reuben concocted it. And we can plot and we can scheme, but trust me, my friend, God knows what he's doing. And you and I just have to trust in him. I'm going to leave you one more scripture and then we're going to pray. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Would you come?